You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. I'm going to start a new teaching series. And today we are uh, starting a teaching series on the book of James. The book of James. And so right now we're going to look at a four-week four series. Um, you know me, it might go longer than that. Sometimes it usually does. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see where we're at at week four. Um, but we're going to look at the book of James. Before we do that, though, I want to remind us of kind of where we've been and what God's put on our heart for this year. Early in the year, I feel like God put on my heart that um, this was a year of, of revival in us, not just in our church, but even just in, in our family personally and me personally. And so a big part of that is God has showed me throughout this year and just been reminding me of um, this spirit of complacency that has kind of crept in and, if you will, overcome the, uh, the American church a little bit. We've just kind of just felt complacent, which is simply this, self-sufficient or self-satisfied, where we feel like we're doing enough and we're checking all the boxes so we feel okay, but we're not pursuing Jesus passionately like we should. And so what I love about the book of James is I love is that James is actually talking to believers. He's writing not to lost people, but he's writing to believers. And it's kind of a way of him shaking people a little bit, saying, hey, wake up. It's time for you to hear some of this stuff. It's time for you to grow up spiritually a little bit. So there's a lot of that James talks about that can be a little bit challenging or that will be a little bit challenging as we get into it. But the first thing that he talks about um, is he talks about how to handle some tough times. And before I get to that, let me just give you an overview of who who is James. (laughs) James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus. And so I don't know about you, if ever growing up, if you had a a sibling that was kind of an all-star growing up in high school, my middle brother, Brad, uh, he was an all-star football player. He set records at our high school and things like that. And so for a long time, I was known as as Brad's brother, Dan. Not just Dan, but Brad's brother. You can imagine how James feels, right? His his half-brother is Jesus, right? Like... That's Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, he just, he does crazy things, right? But um, what's interesting is James was not a believer until after the resurrection. So throughout the, the life of Jesus, and this is how it was with a lot of Jesus' family, is that they watched from a distance, but there was that spirit of familiarity with them and that, well, we grew up with him, we know him, who is this, isn't he the carpenter's son, all this stuff. James kind of fell into that for a little bit, but eventually James became one of the lead pastors, the leaders of the church at Jerusalem. So he played a huge role eventually once he came to his senses after the resurrection. But here's what's interesting. This is just a fun fact for today. The early church history says that James was such a man of prayer that he actually developed large, thick calluses on his knees that made his knees look like the knees of a camel. I mean, it's kind of gross, but, uh, uh, but it shows his dedication to prayer and to seeing God's kingdom come on earth uh, as it is in heaven. And I think, I think in many ways he is a great author, and it shows why we, he, he has a book here for us to read inside God's word. He, um, he proved himself in his life, not that we're trying to prove ourselves, but he showed fruit for his beliefs. And so that's what we're going to look at today. The first thing, though, that James talks about in James chapter 1, right out the gate, is he talks about how do we endure trials in our life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, enduring trials. How do we endure these trials? In fact, here's what James says in James chapter 1, verses 2. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, so we're two verses into James, and it doesn't feel very encouraging, right? It's not very uplifting because he says, when, not if. If you've lived long enough, you know that's true, right? It's not if trouble comes. Uh, Even Jesus talked about it's when. When 
trials come my way, how are we going to handle it? And so here's what James does. Is he gives us some instruction on how do you handle the trials of life. Why? Because they're going to show up. If they're not, go, you're not going through something right now, you need to be preparing yourself to go through something in the future. And I'm not saying that to give you some doom or some pressure, but it, it's some wisdom that we would prepare for what the enemy might throw at us tomorrow. And so we're going to talk about it. So today we're saying, how do, how do we endure the trials of life? We're going to look at four things. There's a lot more, you know, things that you could do. But here's four things that James talks about specifically that we can do. The first one is this, and it sounds weird, but count it all joy. It's the first thing he says. How do we endure the trials of life? Number one, count it all joy. I know the first time I've read this, and I, you know, I've heard messages on that. And uh, when you're going through a trial, your natural reaction is going to be, yeah, right. Like, that sounds great, but that's not possible. Like, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how my work is going. You don't know what my family's going through right now. You don't know what's going on. James, how dare you even say that I should have joy during this trial, right? Like, count it all joy. Let's read it in context. James 1, verse 2. Uh, it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay. Let's stop here for a second. There's a lot at the end here that are some huge words for us. What does he say? He says, let it, patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. I don't know about you, but that sounds good, right? Like how, I want those things in my life. I want to be, uh, not that we're achieving perfection, but that God is perfecting some things in us that our joy or our, our faith rather is getting to a place where we can lack nothing that God desires in our life. Like I want to get to this place. So let's talk about it for a second. He says, count it all joy. Here's one interesting to think or to know is this. It's not, I'm counting it joy for the trial, Right? We don't have to get weird in the sense of, like, well, something else happened, right? Like, we already had a bunch going on, and now I got a flat tire. Well, thank you, Jesus, for, uh, thank you, Jesus, for the flat tire. It's going to work my patience. Like, you don't have to be uh, weird about it, right? But he says, count it all joy, not for the trial, but for what God is going to do through it. What God is going to do through it. I'm already preparing my heart for a move of God is basically what it comes down to. If I'm not ever preparing my heart for a move of God, there's no way that I can have joy. I can fake it and I can put a smile on my face, but I can't have an inner joy that can't be stolen. Happiness can be stolen, but joy that comes from Jesus cannot be stolen. It is rooted deep within us. And so he says, look, trials, trials are coming, but he says, when you have joy, he says, trials are really, um, they have incredible potential for you. He says, it will help you be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Trials have incredible potential, but our attitude and our demeanor in trials is vital to the outcome of the trial. Our attitude and our demeanor in the trial is vital to the outcome of the trial. You ever talk to somebody, you ever know somebody that they're just the Eeyore, you know, Eeyore, Pooh Bear, right? Like, it's just like, bro, it's like Eeyore. Every time, you know, we don't watch it very often with Gavin, but sometimes we will, and it's just like, Eeyore, you finally got your new house and he's already finding something wrong with it, right? Like that's, we've got, it's like, bro, change your attitude. You've got to fix your attitude, but you've got to make the choice to do it. When trials come, we've got to make a choice that our attitude and remind ourselves, our attitude and our demeanor has a lot to do with the outcome of what we're going through. Think about it this way. If difficulties are received in unbelief and if they're received in grumbling, trials then can produce bitterness and discouragement. There's going to be an outcome, 
But how we receive and how we start the trial determines what the outcome will be, whether it is being perfected, complete, and lacking nothing, or whether it will be bitterness and discouragement and unbelief. Either way, there will be an outcome. The trial will end at some point. However, we get to choose what will the outcome be. And so uh, I would say this is why James exhorted us to count it all joy. Counting it all joy is faith's response to the trial. When I have joy, it's my faith responding to the trial. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so hear me in this. If the joy of the Lord is my strength, it makes sense that James would say, count it all joy when you face trial. And I would make this comparison. Choosing joy at the beginning of your trial, even in your trial, is like filling up the gas tank in your car before you go on a road trip. It's two things. It's wise, but even number two, you're going to need every ounce of fuel to make it to the end of the road trip. When I fill up with joy and I choose joy first, when I, when I see it coming, when I get into the trial, I am filling up my spiritual gas tank so that I can have the strength to see it through. So you see why joy is important. It's just like, hey, I'm going to go on a road trip. And I'm going to go, I'm going all the way to Florida. We're going to go to the beach, right? But then I never put gas in my car. Am I going to the beach? No. I'm not going to see the outcome that I want. And so it's the same way with joy. When the trial comes, I choose joy so that I can get my faith's outcome that I want. So joy is crucial. How I respond. So he says, what? Count it all joy. (laughs) Count it all joy. Is it going to be easy to have joy? No, but you got to choose to have joy and you have to fight for your joy. Here's the second thing he says. Point number two is this, ask of God. He says, count it all joy. Then we continue reading in James chapter one. He says, ask of God. And so let's look at it in context. James one, we're continuing on verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Many times we quote this verse as like general wisdom. Lord, I just need wisdom. And we quote this as kind of, hey, I need wisdom. Here's what God's word says. And this can be applied to that. But in context, this is talking about wisdom in the trial. Wisdom in difficult times is what we're talking about here in context to God's word. Victory in trials comes from the wisdom of God, not solely from the knowledge of man. Many times what happens, I might get a little bit ahead of myself, but many times what happens when things come up in our lives, we run to humans, which you need to surround yourself with community, yes, but many times we run to other man-written books or any, any other, uh, some other people rather than running to God first. You need to run to people and have community, yes, but what's your first response to when trials and things come up? And this is, uh, this is part of what happens here. So let me say this. We're asking God for wisdom, and in, in this, we're asking God, what is really the question we're asking? And this is the question I found myself asking time and time again when trials come up. Here's the big question. You can put it up here. Is this something God wants me to eliminate by faith or persevere in by faith? You ever been through a difficult time in your life and honestly, you're like, I don't know if God's in this or if the enemy's in this. I don't know if this is God closing a door for this, you know, this season, this job, this relationship. Is it God closing the door or am I on the right track so much that the enemy is actually hindering me? So really this raises the question, is it God or is it the devil? Is it God closing the door or is it the devil hindering me? Lord, I need your wisdom to know. Are you trying to get my attention or is the enemy attacking me? 
Is this something I need to eliminate by faith? Because God's given us that authority through the power of his Holy Spirit. He says, bind it on earth, it'll be bound in heaven. Loose on earth, it'll be loosed in heaven. He's given us authority to do things, to eliminate things in our life by faith. But also, sometimes he's asking us to persevere in it by faith. Meaning this, I'm in a fight and I gotta fight it out. I gotta fight it out. I have to endure this trial. It's not over when I say it's over. How many of you know I wish it would be, (laughs) right? But many times there is some work in us that God's got to do, and he won't let me go to second grade until I pass first grade. And that's what I want you to know. God doesn't tempt you, but God will test you. God won't tempt you. That's That's not scriptural. But we see him test people quite a bit in scripture to see how will you respond In fact, I think we see him test, Jesus test his disciples a lot more than we see the word test in scripture. He puts them in situations just to see, where was your faith? Why did you have such little faith? This one only comes out by prayer and fasting. He gives responses that show us he wanted to see how you boys going to respond. God doesn't cause harm, but God will use it for his glory. So do you see how there's this fine line then? God will test me and put me in test situations, but God's never going to cause destruction or harm in my life. It really is this fine line. And so many times we get into trials and we don't know, God, are you fighting with me? Or am I fighting against you? Or like, I don't know. I don't know. So what does James say? Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. But too many people assume that everything that happens in their life is God's will. Let me say that again. Too many people (laughs) assume everything that happens in their life is God's will. Well, I got sick, so God gave me this sickness to test me or to teach me a lesson. Here's the issue with that. If God was the author of sickness, Jesus went through the majority of his ministry undoing the will of God. The majority of his ministry was not just preaching, but healing the sick. So we're contradicting each other now. And Jesus came, I just read it this morning in my quiet time, and John, he says, I've only come to do what the Father sent me to do. I only say what he tells me to say. I only do what he tells me to do. I only do the will of the Father, not my own will. So many times we think, though, it's, it, we say, well, I, you know, this sick, God gave me this sickness. Well, let's take a step back here for a second, and let's ask for some wisdom, right? Do I have this sickness because I need to get a little bit healthier? Am I drinking clear stuff called water from time to time? Amen, somebody, right? Like... Sometimes we hinder ourselves, and then we say, well, it's just God's will, or man, the devil's getting at me, but you ain't drank water in a week. Like, okay, we take care of ourselves. That's biblical, right? Well, I got laid off from the job, and that's just God's will. He didn't want me to be there anymore. Well, maybe it's because you showed up late for weeks in a row, or maybe it's because you're lazy. Maybe it's because you were a gossip in the office or on the job site. You're always talking bad about somebody, and that's why you got laid off, right? God may be trying to get your attention in you getting laid off, but many times we bring it on ourselves. And, and I would say this, it's easier to assume trials are God's will rather than asking God for wisdom. It's easier because it takes all the burden off of me. I don't have to do anything. I just have to lay down here and just whatever happens, happens. Rather than, James says, ask for wisdom. He says, in the trial, you need to respond correctly. Have joy, choose joy, and then ask for wisdom. Ask how you should respond to this trial. Do you need to endure it? Do you need to eliminate it? Do you need to attack it? Do you need to, what do you need to do? What you need to, God's, you know, something's going on. He says, you need to fight a little bit. 
Sometimes it's easier to lay down than it is to fight when it's, when it's needed. But God calls us to what? Put on his armor and fight the good fight of faith. Not lay down and sleep the good sleep of faith, okay? <laughs> Many Christians do that for their whole life, though. They're sleeping through the best years of their life spiritually when God said, it's time to go to war. It's time to go to war. Ask for God's wisdom, not just man's knowledge. Man's knowledge is good, but God's wisdom is better. Um, Knowledge is raw information, but wisdom knows how to use the information. And God says, when you ask me, meaning this, ask of God, that means to get as close to God as possible, to get intimate with him, to get alone with him, to seek him and to seek his will. And he says, when you ask me, I will give liberally. I'm not going to tease you. I'm not going to let you know, may this might be my will, it might not. He says, no, I'm going to give you wisdom on how to handle this trial. Isn't our God good? He didn't want to see you struggle. He wants to help you through the trial. Number three is this, stand in faith. Stand in faith. Stand in faith. This is an important one. It's important to know, actually, that trials do not produce faith. Trials do not produce faith. Trials reveal faith. Trials don't produce faith. They reveal faith. So, God's word says that, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not that faith comes by trials and trials by God. (laughs) It's not what it says. It comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. In fact, let me go back to that first verse I had for you here. He says, you don't have to go back to it on the screen, but he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Then patience leads to everything else. The testing of your faith produces patience. So it's the old, it's what our military uses all the time. It's that leadership principle of you don't ever rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your preparation. It's what our military uses. It's a great, it's exactly what we think. We think someday, well, when I'm faced with that, I'm going to rise to the level of, you know, I'm going to rise up there and I'm going to handle it. No, you won't. You will only fall to the level of your preparation. So here's what James says in verse 6. We're continuing in our passage. He says, but let, so he said, ask of God, verse 6 now, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose, suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This should get our attention. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. I want to receive from the Lord, so I want to make sure I'm obeying Scripture here because I don't want to be that person, right? He says he's unstable in all of his ways. He says, ask in faith with no doubting. Doubting is wicked and it is evil and it will rob you from the things that God has for you. And so we've got to know when I have doubt in my life, it will rob me from the wisdom of God. It will rob me from the blessings of God. It will rob me from what God has for me. He says he's unstable in all of his ways, meaning this, he's always moving. He's tossed like the, the sea, He's always moving. Here's why that's important. Because sometimes God sends the answer, but we don't stand in faith long enough to receive it. God sends the answer, but many times we don't stand in one place in faith long enough to receive it. Think of it like uh, as if you were, you were moving, right? You asked God and, and pretend that God was going to mail you that your answer. In some ways, this actually happens. He has messenger angels who are bringing answers to your prayer. Let's say that it's coming through the mail. It's coming to you. Well, it didn't show up tomorrow, so you packed everything up and you moved to an apartment. It didn't show up the next day, so you packed up everything there and you moved to a different house. Then you packed up everything else and you went to someplace else. And eventually, maybe a week later, maybe six months later, maybe some time later, your answer showed up at the original house. This is what happens spiritually a lot. We stand, we pray in faith, but then when it doesn't show up on our timetable, we begin to move. When God's word says stand, 
stand in faith and keep standing in faith. Jesus said, build your house on what? The rock. He says, the one that hears my word and then does it, builds his house on the rock, which is what? It's unmoving. It's immovable. I am here waiting for God to answer, waiting for God to move. And so it doesn't matter what storm or trial comes my way, I'm standing in my faith in Jesus. Spurgeon said it this way, and I think this is really good. I'll show you the quote right up here. He says this, the natural tendency of, tr- of trouble is not to sanctify, but to induce sin. He says, a man is very apt to become unbelieving under affliction, and that is sin. He is apt to murmur against God under it, and that is sin. He is apt to put forth his hand to some ill way of escaping from his difficulty, and that would be sin. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you face tough times, you're going to be tempted to get antsy, to get impatient, and to take matters into your own hands and do it on your timetable and to do your will, not his will. And this is why he says, ask for, for, for wisdom. Ask for it. Then once you receive it, stand in what the word you got from God was. Stand. Don't go do your own thing because now we're operating in sin, not in righteousness under his umbrella of protection. It says stand in faith. Don't stumble into sin. Stand in faith. Don't stumble into sin. You're going to be tempted to get antsy and to be impatient, but stand. Number four is this. This is an important one. Never blame God. When I'm facing difficult times, when I'm facing trials, my job is not to point the finger at God and say, God, why are you or why aren't you or what are you doing? Have I not done enough for you? Please don't do that. Spurgeon just said it. You're going to be tempted to. You'll be tempted to murmur against God. You'll be tempted to be angry with God. And as soon as you find yourself being angry with God, alarms should be going off. Lord, check my heart. Ask for forgiveness and get back to the feet of Jesus. James 1.4 says that our faith leads to patience, which leads to being perfect, complete, lacking nothing. We see the similar language in verses 12 through 15. Let's look at it. James 1, same passage, 12 through 15. Blessed is the man who endures temptation or who endures these trials that we're talking about. For when, he has, uh, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. There's a progression but it starts with the temptation in the trial. I'm tempted to wander. I'm tempted to blame God and to get angry at God. I'm tempted to not have joy, to be angry. I'm tempted to get isolated. He says, resist the temptation. Blessed is the one who endures it, for you'll receive what God has promised for you. Don't say God's tempting you. He's not. God's not the one that has caused destruction and harm in your life. You're going to be tempted to do your own thing, but don't put the blame on God for it. God's word says that he provides a way out of temptation. So again, when I get back to the feet of Jesus, I get the answers that I need. I get the peace that I need. I get the check in my spirit that, Lord, it's not happened yet, but I put my faith in you, and I know that it's in your time and not mine. 
And that's tough to do. Because when you fight the good fight of faith, it's not all encouraging verses and things. Well, hey, tomorrow it's going to happen. Sometimes you have to put your faith in the faithfulness of God and say, God, I haven't seen it yet. But your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I'm going to trust you no matter what. I won't blame you. I'm not going to be upset with you because I know it's not your character. God didn't cause the destruction, but he can use it. God may have not started what you're going through, but it may be an opportunity that he can test you through it. And in testing, what's he trying to do? Push you down? Say how, show how bad you are? No, he's actually trying to eliminate things in your life so that you can walk with a little less weight when you come out the other side. That's what testing is. James finishes this passage at James 1.17, or towards the end, and he says this. this. Everyone knows this verse. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights. That's our Heavenly Father. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. We serve a good God. In fact, he's so good, <laughs> his light is so bright that he can't even be a source of darkness. Let me show you a great picture, illustration of this. You can put the picture up. Light doesn't have a shadow. I don't know if you know that or not. Okay, this kind of blew my mind when the first time I saw it. The hand has a shadow. The matchstick has a shadow, but the flame does not. Why? Because it's producing light. This is a picture of our Heavenly Father. When you feel as if the dark things in your life or the destruction in your life is from God, remember this picture. God's Word says it's physically impossible. Does it mean He can't use it? No, He'll use it. Does it mean he's not working in it? No, he can work in it. But your temptation will be to get that finger and to point it at God and say, God, I'm done. This is too much. Every good gift, every good thing is from above. It comes down from him. Where there is no variation, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, there's no shadow of turning. We serve a good God. But God is so good that no matter what comes our way, whether it's good times or whether it's trials, he can use all of it for his glory. God, let me give you hope in this before I kind of wrap up. This is a great picture to remind us. God is always doing more than you think he is. When you don't understand and when your timetable is messed up and God, why this time we were supposed to have this, this, and this done and be in, making this much money and have this many kids. When your timetable's messed up, Remind yourself, he is always doing more than you think he is. He's always doing more than you think he is. God didn't cause it, but he can use these trials to perfect us, to get us through, to produce patience in us, to strengthen us. The early church and the author, our author James, he knew the principle of enduring trials. The first church did. In fact, let me remind you of what they faced after Jesus went, the first church launched, and after Jesus was in heaven. They were sawed in half. For years, but the church endured. They were eaten by lions and fed to lions, but they endured. They were stoned and they were beaten to death, yet they endured. We're here today. The church is here today. 
they were crucified like our Savior for 300 years at least, yet they endured. James himself, our author, was taken to the top of the temple to a high point, and he was thrown from the top of the temple. (sighs) And when he landed and he didn't die, they went down there and they beat him to death. And through it all, James continued to pray for his murderers while they killed him. We're going to face trials, but in all of it, (laughs) trials are inevitable. Let me remind you to take heart. Take heart in the trial. Do not be discouraged. God moves the greatest when times seem the darkest. And so though they, they... faced hardship. You know what their fruit was? We're here today. The church is alive and well today because somebody had the faith guts to endure when times were awful and times were dark, even when they were being beaten to death. We're going to face tough times, but can I tell you, in America, at least right now, we're not being crucified and we're not being sawed in half. I'm not saying what you're going through isn't tough. Trust me. I know times can be tough. But let me remind you what James said. Choose joy. It's the fuel that you're going to need to make it through because it's your strength. Ask God for wisdom. Lord, is this from you? Are you working in this? Is this the enemy? How do I fight this? How do I endure this? Stand in faith. Resist temptation to do your will. Instead, seek God's will. And finally, remember, never blame God. Never blame God. He is light. God can use any situation for his glory, and he's always doing more than you think he is. Have hope today. Even when trials come, we serve a big God who can do big things in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you are the Father of lights, as your word says. We thank you that you are bright and shining. And Lord, when times seem dark, we thank you that you are the light that we bring into our life, that we keep in our life, that we raise up in our life, Lord, so that there is good and we can receive good from you. And Lord, Lord, no matter what we're going through today, no matter what is represented today, Heavenly Father, I pray that as we agree in prayer here in just a moment, I pray, Lord, that you would go to work that you would help us have wisdom, Lord. You would help us have joy, help us have wisdom, help us know how to endure when times are tough. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that the joy of you is our strength. Put your joy in us. Fill up our spiritual gas tank, Lord, so that we can do everything that you've asked us to do. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, Or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.